You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody this morning. Olivia and William, sending you their greetings. She's down to, I think we got like five weeks left till the, the new guy comes. So haven't done the nursery or picked a name or anything like that. But I think maybe that comes with the second kid. You just kind of wing it till you get there. But anyways, they send you their greetings. It's good to be back with y'all. It feels like it's been uh, forever. We're going to continue on with our series in the book of Galatians today. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go with me to Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at uh, today as we continue <clears throat> as we continue on there. Uh, about a year ago, I was in Richmond, Virginia. So this is uh, October, and uh, I'm, I'm meeting with this missiologist from the North America or the uh, International Mission Board. That's the Southern Baptist Agency that sends over missionaries overseas. And I was meeting with him because I wanted to put together this kind of video series to be a resource to churches. And basically, I was asking the question, okay, hey, you train missionaries overseas. And I think there's a lot of principles that you have that you teach that are actually very applicable here in the United States. And not just in the United States, but to a local church thinking about how to engage and reach their local college campus, because that's kind of my job is I help churches uh, do that. So I met with him, and one of the principles that he talked about uh, was this principle of understanding uh, tribe. And when I say tribe, or when he says tribe, he's not talking about like an African tribe. Here's what he means, is a tribe is the primary social unit that a person belongs to. So if you're going to reach somebody, it's, uh, it's wise to understand what tribes that they see themselves in, uh, so you can know how you can best reach them uh, with the gospel. And, and, you know, we all have tribes we live in. A tribe can be a family. It can be your religious background. It can be your skin color. It can be your hobbies. I mean, tribes can be anything. It could be the church that you go to. And they all have rules. They all have structure. They all have leadership. They all have goals. And though not like overt or seen, they're kind of like beneath the surface. They're like this unwritten code, like for even... For my family, like the Tidwell family, like if you just take yourself too seriously, if you can't joke, if you can't laugh, like you're just not going to make it. That's like in the unwritten Tidwell policy handbook. You just, it's just not going to work. And that's the thing is all tribes have those. And, uh, and most people are embedded into multiple tribes. And here's the thing about tribes is tribe informs our identity and it, uh, and it forms our decision-making. You know, the family that you're a part of informs who you believe you are, and it also informs the decisions you make. The church you go to, all those things, tribe informs those two things. And in our society, the dividing lines of tribes are becoming more clear and more hostile than we've ever seen. I feel like in now more than ever, we live in a society that's increasingly asking you, where do you stand here? Because they're wanting to divide you and put you into a category that can fit into their, their mental model. Are you, are you white? Are you black? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Are you vaxxed? Are you unvaxxed? Do you put your Christmas tree up after Halloween or Thanksgiving? There's two different categories all the time. By the way, over the past two years, I think we can just put up our tree anytime you want. So you have that freedom for me if you want to just go ahead and put that puppy up. It's been a hard two years. But here's the thing, friends, is as like believers in Jesus, although we're embedded into these things, we have families, we have churches, we have the ways that we vote, we have all these things that would kind of put us into these categories or these tribes. But the most supreme thing for you and for me, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that we do have a supreme tribe, and that is that we are children in the family of God. And that tribe informs everything that we say and everything 
that we do, and it calls our total and full allegiance. It is by being faithful to this tribe that we will be faithful followers of Jesus being salt of the earth and the light of the world. So the question that I want us to wrestle with uh, today as we're thinking about becoming a gospel people is this, how do we stand faithful to Jesus even when people around us don't necessarily agree or if it might, might cost us? So as we've been going through this series so far, here's what we have learned is that One, Paul begins this letter saying, hey, I'm an apostle. And then he takes them behind the woodshed and is like, what are you guys doing? Because I came in here and I preached a complete gospel, but you guys let these false teachers come in. They're preaching a different gospel. And I'm here to tell you that the gospel is complete. And if you believe the gospel, then you're complete. And then he moves on and he begins to share his own story and his own testimony that Daniel shared two weeks ago about being transformed. So we learned that two things, that gospel people are complete, gospel people are transformed, and then we're going to get into the kind of how that works itself out in our relation to others uh, today. So Paul continues on where we found ourselves from two weeks ago in his story of transformation, uh, and he begins in chapter two, or continues in chapter two, verse one. Look at what he says. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So up to this point, Paul is kind of spent 14 years in obscurity, not, not really total obscurity, but he's not like at the center of Christianity. He's kind of on the fringes. He's been given a revelation by Jesus. He's gone around sharing it. And now what he's saying is after 14 years of this, I'm taking my church planning partner in Barnabas and I'm taking my disciple Titus, excuse me, and we're going to go to Jerusalem. But why are they going to Jerusalem? It's because they said the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles I want to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So he's like, let me go to the, the central figures, the, the pillars of this new expression of church. And I want to make sure that the gospel that I'm teaching, that I'm proclaiming, just let's make sure it's all kosher. Let's just kind of make sure it's, it's good. And so Paul takes Barnabas, he takes Titus, and they go to Jerusalem. And then, of course, once they get there, they even run into some trouble similar to what we found in Galatia. Look at what it says in verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So as Paul goes into Jerusalem, he runs into the same type of false teachers that have come in and preaching in Galatia, the Judaizers. And he makes this example. He says, Titus, who is with me, Titus is a Greek, which means he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't have Jewish culture. He didn't have Jewish heritage. He didn't have any of that stuff. So he comes into Jerusalem and he says he was not forced to be circumcised. Kids, if you don't know what that means, just ask it over lunch. Mom and dad would be happy to tell you. But he was a Greek. He says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, they slipped to spy out our freedom in Christ. And so the reason why circumcision is so significant was because from the time of Abraham, uh, this was symbolic of your faith in God. It's like God wanted some skin in the game. And that's why it was such, you got it, I see you over there. 
It was such a big deal. It was like this symbol of faith. It was this outward physical proclamation. And what Paul says now is he's saying, hey, our faith is not about what happens physically to us. It's about what happens in the heart. And so, <clears throat> so here we have Titus brought in. Uh, Titus comes with him. False brothers are brought in. And Paul says, we did not give in to them. Because here's what the Judaizers would have said to Titus. Okay, hey, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, but there's more. You know, remember from the very first week, uh, the first series that I preached, one of the, the questions that I posed was this, a real Christian would never blank. And that's what the Judaizers would say is like, hey, Titus, I know you place your faith and trust in Jesus, but a real Christian would be circumcised. You know that, right? And, and, and then Paul's like, hey, that stuff, we didn't give in for a moment. We didn't give in to submission. We didn't go back into the slavery of the works of the law. Why? Because we want to continue to uplift the truth uh, for you so it might be preserved uh, for you. And so here he goes. He continues on in verse 6. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that means a non-Jew, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. By the way, that word is going to come up a lot today. For he worked through Peter for his apostolate apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So here Paul comes with his crew and he says before then the gospel that Jesus, remember Jesus revealed himself to Apostle on the Damascus road, kind of in this wild vision. And so Paul comes, he brings his crew, he sets this vision and this gospel before these pillars of the faith. And what they do is they give the right hand of fellowship. They say this gospel that you've received, we, that's legitimate. They, you go and you take that. And while you take that to the non-Jew, we'll take that to the Jews. And hey, don't, don't forget about the poor, which Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm really eager to, to take care of the poor. And so what Paul is doing in this, as he's kind of ending this testimony of his, is he's showing the, the church in Galatia, he's like, I've dealt with this same stuff. Like, I've dealt with these Judaizers. This is not the first time I've had to deal with them, that they've tried to push against the gospel that I've, I've preached. And he's also making the point that say, hey, I'm not this lone ranger, just weird dude going off and planting churches. I, I've actually got the backing of the pillars of the faith, like Peter and those guys. And so he's, he's kind of making a, a case for himself. And then he even takes it further and he shares with us probably one of the most harshest kind of conflicts we see among these church leaders between Paul and Peter. Look with me, uh, look with me at verse 11. <clears throat> when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas, that means that's Peter. When he came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So Paul transitions in his story. He's like, hey, there was this one time that I actually went to Antioch. And remember Antioch, this was the church that was birthed out of the persecution of 
stoning of Stephen, and the, there was this disperse, uh, the, all the Christians dispersed, and there was this planting start of this church uh, north of Jerusalem in Antioch. And what this was was a beautiful expression of this new Christian faith uh, by faith in Jesus alone. And what happened is this faith was not just for a single people group. It wasn't just for a Jew, but it was for everybody. And so at Antioch, you had all these different ethnicities, all these different cultures, all these different ideas that had come together and started this church. And it was this beautiful expression that God's love is for everybody and that anybody who places their faith and trust in Jesus can be a part of the family of God. So this was kind of a revolutionary thing, this church in Antioch. And it says that Peter, I like how the CSB describes it, but it says that Peter would regularly go there and eat with the Gentiles. Now, this is very significant because eating was not like, it, eating, eating in the Jewish culture is extremely intimate act. And in fact, it has a lot of spiritual significance to it. Uh, one theologian says this, in Judaism, table fellowship means fellowship before God. For the eating of a piece of broken bread by everyone who shares in the mill brings out the fact that they all have a share in the blessing which the leader of the house has spoken over the unbroken bread. So it was an extremely intimate act. So for a Jew to have a Gentile sit at their table, pronounce a blessing over the mill was basically saying, you're in the family of God. God loves you. God accepts you. We love you. We accept you. So for Peter to be sitting at this table, it was a Physical is kind of a, a public witness. It was a proclamation that God loves people beyond the Jewish people. That God loves Gentiles. He loves Greeks. He loves everybody. And everybody has a seat at God's table when they put their faith and trust in, in Jesus. And so there's this beautiful scene of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for all nations. It's wonderfully diverse gospel table that's uniting these communities of people together that otherwise would never be connected. So it's really, it's, really, it's really quite awesome. However, we see this collision of these two different tribes also in this moment. Verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he was eating, talking about Peter with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back, separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, there's two groups here. We have like Gentile Christians. Which again, those are people of non-Jewish background that don't have Jewish culture, don't have Jewish heritage. They don't have any of that. They've just placed their faith and trust in Jesus and they've brought all their culture and heritage with them. Then you have the circumcision party. This is like the, they call these like the fundamental Jews. And what they would, these were strictly, they strictly adhered to the law, the Mosaic law, but they also believed in Jesus. But how they kind of put that in order is they would say, hey, I'm a Jew first and I'm a Christian second. So I'm not doing away with the Mosaic law. Uh, it's that and Jesus. And so they come walking in. It says when they walk in this room, it says Peter is filled with fear. And he begins to separate himself from them, from the Gentiles. Why? Because he was so scared of this group of people uh, that walked in. And that just like blows my mind. Because like Peter's like the guy. I mean, Peter's like BFFs with Jesus. Like who is he afraid of? Like he walked with Jesus for three years so closely. What is he afraid of this party? We don't really know, but he, he felt that for him to stay at that table with the Gentiles would cost him more than kind of backing away to hang with this, this other party of, of folks. And it says Peter and the rest of the Jews, they got up from the table. And it continues in verse 13. 
And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So it's not, you know, Peter's a leader. We expect people to follow him. He, he's an influencer. But then you see Barnabas, who's like Paul's right-hand guy. Paul's just probably just thinking like, looking next, like, hey, Barnabas, can you believe this is happening? Barnabas isn't there. He's following him too. Like he's walking out of the table as well. And Peter's looking at all this like, this is so hypocritical to the Christian faith to get up from that table. And look at what he says, verse 14. So Paul's he's not afraid. He calls him out. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, as Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So what Paul's saying here is this separation of Peter, Barnabas, and the other Christians was completely hypocritical to the Christian Faith, it was not in truth with the gospel, which unite all people under the same banner of family. And what they're doing is they're dividing it by walking away from this table. And so what was happening is that Peter was choosing to be loyal to a tribe of people over the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, Paul says, if you're a Jew and you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force a Gentile to live like a Jew? Basically say, hey, Peter, you're Okay, you're a Jew. That means you had all the Jewish culture. You had all the Jewish heritage. You had all those kind of things. But you don't even keep that. In fact, you live like a Gentile. But now that this group of people walked in the room, now you're acting like a Jew and you're telling these Gentiles by your actions that they need to live like a Jew by keeping all these laws and things like that. He goes, that's hypocritical of the faith. What are you doing, man? Like, that don't make any sense. And so we see Peter, Barnabas, and these other Jews, they're faced with this crossroad. They can either stand for truth by staying seated at this table, or they can be influenced by this powerful Jewish community. And unfortunately, they are. They walk away from the table, and, and Paul calls them, calls them out for it. And he actually begins to call out the problem. He knows the problem to this whole issue of them getting up from the table, and he says it's a theological problem centered around the doctrine of justification. Look what he says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we, Jews, we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He's like, hey guys, we're Jews. Okay, we we get the law, we get the culture, we get the heritage, we get all that things. But even we know that our faith, that our justification, our right standing before God does not come from works of the law. It doesn't come from being a part of the circumcision party. It doesn't come from adhering to this law or that law or this calendar or whatever it may be. It doesn't come that way. It only comes through faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ. Paul says we are justified. That means a person is right, accepted before God. And he says that only we are only right, we are only accepted before God on our faith in Jesus, because here's what happened is when they walked away from the table, here's what it signaled to the Gentiles that were sitting there is this. By backing away from the table, they are saying with their behavior that there's more you need in order to be loved and accepted by God than just faith. That's what, that's what that is physically saying. You know, they're maybe not saying it with their lips, but they're saying it with their actions. Let me back away here. And those Gentiles are just like, well, what's going on here? <laughs> like, why are you leaving? Like, what happened here? So Paul's argument is that faith in Christ is the only qualifier for table fellowship. He goes, friends, 
If you don't know that you're justified in Christ, you're going to keep getting up from this table because some power group's going to come in or some person or some emotion, something's going to come in and try to pull you apart uh, from your faith and justification that you are only right before God based on your faith and not according to what anybody says, what anybody thinks. He continues on, but if in our endeavor, verse 17, to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor, for through the law I die the law, so that I might live to God. So Paul's saying, rationally speaking, y'all, this don't make any sense. Your, your actions make no sense. They do not match with what you believe. He says, hey, if, in our, if we want to be justified by Christ, we want to be right, but, but we, we were found to be sinners as Christ's servant of sin. So he's basically saying, like, friends, if, if you think that be, being right in this world is based on how a, what you want is this group of people to think about you or this works of the law, and you think Christ is leading you there, you realize that then Christ is leading you to sin, which we know he doesn't do. He's like, so your actions don't make sense. You're kind of being a hypocrite right now. Because he's saying, it's like, well, we're just going to end up being sinners again, because none of us can completely adhere to the law, which means Christ leads us back to a place of sin. And that makes no sense. And Paul's basically telling him, quit building up a religious system that Jesus fulfilled. Like, don't bring it back. It's done. Jesus fulfilled it. And so, friends, what keeps us, what keeps Peter, what keeps the Galatians, what keeps us all from walking over earthly tribal lines is that Christ has justified you and your stance before him is really all that matters. That's it. So he sells, he shows the story, this conflict that happens. Peter and the group, they get up from the table, they walk away from the Gentiles. Paul says, the problem is you need to know that you're, you're not right based on what a group of people thinks about you. You're only right by what God thinks about you. And so how do you nail that down? Like, how do we practice that? Paul shares with us in 20, verse 20 through 21. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul says, you know how you get over that? You got to crucify your flesh. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul was a Jew of Jew that he was, he lived by the law. He died by the law. He perhaps even killed people because he was so passionate about the law. And he says, I died to that former way of thinking. I died to that former way of living that I, when, when I came to faith in Jesus, I killed that stuff because that's, it's trash. It has no part of our, it has, that has no bearing on our rightness before God is keeping a law or, or being liked by a certain group of people. And he says, it's no longer I who live now, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's Christ that now reigns in Paul. It's Christ that now leads Paul, that guides Paul, that moves him. Jesus who leads and guides him. He's not being led by a tribe of people, but by his king, Jesus. And what keeps him nailed to that? He says, faith. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it keeps Paul attached to this truth of justified before God is Jesus, that I live by faith. I believe that this is true regardless of how I feel in a moment, regardless of the cultural pressure that's around me, regardless of the circumstances in my life. I believe this is true and I will live it out. 
Because what we see happen in this scene is that Peter walks away from the truth because of the influence of people. The cultural pressure of this tribe of people walks in. The overwhelming emotion of fear kicks in, and he just walks away. And he walks away without a lack of faith. Paul begins, says at the end, he kind of lands the plane on this. He says, I'm not going to nullify the grace of God. I'm not going to just nix it. I'm, I'm not getting rid of the grace of God. Because if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's like, I'm not setting down my faith in Jesus, because if I do, then that means Jesus died for no purpose. If I say that I have to adhere to a certain code or a certain thing to be liked in this world or feel like I'm right before God, what did Jesus even die for? No point. It's ridiculous. But we know that it's not ridiculous. We know that Jesus died and by, and, and by our faith in him that we are made right before God. And that's all we need. So initially what we see in this passage is this beautiful expression of this gospel table with all, these, all this diversity sitting around it. And then the circumcision tribe walks in and the spirit and power and control walked in as well. And Peter and Barnabas and the Jews, they began to get so fearful that for them to stay at this table, that it would cost them and it would cost them enough that they were willing to drop gospel convictions to separate themselves from this table and from the people. And they thought, I'm willing to be loyal to a tribe of people over being loyal to Jesus. That's what their actions said. And what does this say? What do you think this says to the Gentile audience? I thought we were bros. I thought we were cool. I, I mean, what, what happened here? All of a sudden, these people walk in and like you just act like you don't know me. And what it seen, signals to the Gentile believers is, we really don't care that much about you, and you're not enough. There's more that you need in order to be liked by God and accepted by us. And Paul's antidote to staying at this table, loving brothers and sisters in Christ, was this, is that our justification, our, what makes us right in this world, is before God and not before mankind. Y'all, we got to nail it down. Friends, if we don't believe that God loves us, accepts us exactly how we are, then we're going to bend to culture. We're going to bend to tribes, and we're going to not live out the gospel of Jesus Christ because we're so worried about being accepted by everybody else when God has already given us the acceptance that we long for. We'll keep getting up from the table if we never settle that our rightness in this world is not based on anyone's opinion of you or your allegiance to them, but to Jesus and Him alone. Because what Paul teaches here is that allegiance to a people over Jesus is hypocrisy. That's the formula for hypocrisy, is when you gain, when your allegiance is more to people than it is to Jesus. So what does this mean for you uh, and for me? Here's, here's my one point today, is this right here, is that gospel people stand on truth even when it's costly. Gospel people stand on truth even when it's costly. Because here's the deal, friends, if, if we are not careful what will happen in this life, is we will find ourselves more faithful to earthly tribes that we find ourselves in rather than the eternal tribe we have in the family of God. We'll bend to everybody else rather than what the Lord says, whether what the Lord thinks about us. We'll go throughout this life and encounter people who look, act, think, and believe differently than we do. And we will create walls around us while waving our Christian flag and proclaiming with our actions, there's no love here. You vote differently than me, there's a wall. You look differently than me, there's a wall. You believe differently than me, there's a wall. You worship different, there's a wall. You have different skin color, there's a wall. And here's what happens is we start isolating ourselves to a tribe that looks like us, thinks like us, acts like us, votes like us, and we become the center of what is good and right 
while everyone else is wrong and in most cases evil. I'm going to give us a reminder here today, friends, and this is probably the most important part of this, is that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility. He's broken it down. Friends, you and I didn't have a seat at the table. We didn't have a seat. But guess what? Jesus invited us to the table and He gave us a seat. He didn't just give us a seat, but He gave us a place of honor. He called us into His family. As we learn from Ephesians 2, He showered the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards all who believe. Jesus gave us a seat. Friends, we cannot hate people. We cannot hate people that are different from us. We cannot back away from a lost and hurting world. We can't back away from people just because they're a little bit different. The gospel does not. The gospel says you cross over these earthly tribal lines to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can do it. Why? Because you have been justified. Because you've been given a seat at the table with Jesus Our primary tribe is is as a child in the family of God that we break down walls of hostility that we have towards others and we love all nations, all tribes, and all tongues, friends. Because we are faithful to Jesus alone because Jesus has been faithful to us. Jesus is faithful to you. He lived and died on your behalf in order that you would be accepted before God. Therefore, we can stay at the table. We can cross tribal lines with the freedom to love, knowing that we are fully accepted before the God who matters, and that you don't have to live in fear. Why? Because God already loves you and accepts you, and that's really all that matters. Therefore, when we sit at the crossroads of life, determining if we will be loyal to Jesus or loyal to an earthly tribe, you can stand with Jesus every single time. Every single time. Jesus' faithfulness is what keeps you faithful. So here's what I want to ask you today is what crossroads are you at? What crossroads are you at? Where are you left trying to figure out if you'll be loyal to Jesus or maybe loyal to a group of people or an ideology or whatever? Where are you at? Were times in your life where you wanted to stay or stand with Jesus, but you didn't because you felt fearful of people's opinions and how that might affect your life or your status in their social hierarchy? We live in a culture that if you stand on Christian values, it will cost you in some way, shape, or form. And you can do it in the best posture you possibly can. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot be a jerk, and you're still gonna get, it's still going to cost you to be a Christian in our culture. And in our Christian faith, we do have people who live in the spirit of the circumcision party and put qualifiers on faith beyond faith in Jesus Christ. Are you going to be okay to stand with Jesus even if that costs you in in their eyes? Because friends, I tell you what, for me, it's very easy for me to stand on truth among strangers. It's harder for me to do it around the people that are closest to me. Because those relationships affect me a lot. Gospel people stand on truth even when it's costly. So whether you're navigating family, friends, coworkers, church members, politics, whatever, here are a few things that you can do to remind yourself of, of Jesus' faithfulness to you and you find yourself in those moments. The first thing is, is just to pause and to, to pray. You know, pause and don't react in that moment. Consider what's being said and ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom of, Lord, what do you want me to do in this moment? And it may just be keep your mouth shut sometimes. But what do you want, what do you, what does the Lord want you to do in this moment? The second thing is to apply truth. Where does God speak into this situation? You know, remind yourself that even if you disagree, 
God has justified you, that you don't need somebody else's acceptance. I know that we long for that in this world, and that's always that, that temptation is always going to be there. We're never going to escape that. But at the end of the day, what God thinks about us, what God says about us, and His acceptance of us is really the most supreme thing that we need to worry about. In fact, we don't need to worry about it because it's already there. We just need to settle ourselves in it. And the last thing is walk boldly, respond in faith. You know, there's going to be times where you're just going to feel like me, like, man, it would just be so much easier for me to bend to cultural pressure or how I'm feeling in this moment or in this circumstance. It'd just be easy for me to bend to that. But brother and sister, I want to encourage you to walk boldly in faith. Jesus died and he, he was resurrected so you could walk boldly in your faith. Caden, if you guys want to go ahead and come on up. Here's the last thing I want to say to you is this, is what would it look like if we, we just began to all start walking this way? And I want to give you a last, just one last piece of scripture just to give you as, as we end this tonight, today is in Hebrews 13, 12 through 14. This is the CSB translation. But it says this, Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gates so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Jesus left the masses of the city center and he went out to the edges of the city and he hung on a cross between thieves. Why? So that he would make us holy, that we would be a people loyal to truth over cultural pressure. And friends, 